Welcome to the podcast of Tony Mayo, the business owner's executive coach. This podcast is the audio from our free weekly webinar, Tuesdays with Tony at 12. You can see the video, download the slides and other materials at tiny.cc slash TWTony. That's T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash T-W-T-O-N-Y, all lowercase. Last time we talked about uh, how breakdowns can be better than problems. Uh, Steve wasn't here for that one, but he is well familiar with this. In fact, uh, Steve was one of the clients that discussed this with me a few years ago when we were trying to lay out some of the, the techniques we had developed for approaching life's uh, upsets, surprises, disappointments, uh, and just generally when things didn't go the way we expected to. What are some of the tools that we've learned? And it's kind of started to fall into this pattern here. Whereas when we declare something a problem, and I say declaration in the way I explained last time, which is there are certain things that are what they are just because we name them, just because we declare them. You know, I now declare you husband and wife. Uh, I declare the independence from the crown of England, those sorts of things. So a problem is something you declare. There are just events in the world. One of the things we do to interpret and have facility with the events in the world is to label them, to give them uh, certain meanings and so on. And one of those labels is problem, which comes down to something's wrong. It shouldn't be this way. And when we start off with the problem, then we have a whole list of things to do. We resist it, we excuse it, we become a victim to it, we become a hero conquering it, and all these little uh, games uh, that we can play with problems. But when we go a different way and declare it to be not a problem, but a breakdown, uh, where the mechanism, the method of operation for something uh, it's invisibility, the way it just blends into the background of experience, breaks, then we get to see how it works. And we go into it with the attitude, not of something's wrong, but that there's something to learn. So we dive in and start, uh, number one, with accepting it. An example I often use is how we use a map when we're lost. Uh, I think we're all old enough to remember actual maps that fold out and never fold up again. Uh, uh, but when you are lost and you take out a map, what's the first thing we do when we use a map? This is the audience participation board. What's the first thing you do when you're lost and you take out that map? What do you want to find out to make that map useful? It's not a trick question. Sorry, I just couldn't find my, my unmute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, find out where I am on the map. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the acceptance step. Yeah. We look at what's true. Uh, while we often resist and argue about whether we're in the situation that we are actually in or want to be there, it does no good. Arguing with the map over where you are is not going to get you where you're going. So first you look at the map, find out where you are, locate where you want to be, and start learning a new path. And that's what the whole breakdown thing is instead of it being a problem where the signage is wrong and you should have prepared better and that traffic jam is is the real problem it's oh my process for getting where i want to be whether it's a physical location on a car trip or it's a financial goal in the in the life experience it's now that i accept where i am and i can see where i want to be 
what's the sensible next step? What can I learn about the process? So that's what we discussed last time. And uh, that, of course, is, as always, located out uh, on the web. So you can see that recording at this location. And the materials are there to download. You can have that little poster uh, printed up. And I think, uh, Steve, you mentioned you had that one in your garage. So is that to remind you as soon as you get home uh, to start dealing with uh, breakdowns and the opportunity for breakthrough instead of, and he's got it right there too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a handy tool. And um, I know my life would be better if I used it more often. Uh, any, any questions, concerns, things you want to discuss uh, around that? All right, well, let's move on to today's topic, uh, which is justifying my, my conviction I've developed over the years, is that there is a way to say, I put in almost just to cover myself, but I haven't found the case yet, to say almost anything to almost anyone in a way that works for everyone. Now, when I say works for everyone, that's another important coaching idea and concept. You know, we're not so much concerned with these absolute categories of right and wrong, uh, morality, ethics, legal issues. Uh, those are handled very well in lots of other contexts. But coaching and personal development tends to focus on what is workable. And workable means, is it getting us closer to the result we desire? Is it consistent with our commitments, our values, our vision? So when I say in a way that works for everyone, that doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant for everyone. It doesn't mean it's going to be welcomed by everyone. It doesn't mean that uh, there won't be confusion and upset along the way. It just means that there is a way, there are tools, there are techniques, there are ways of approaching this that increase the chances that at the end of the conversation, everyone will say, yes, I'm expressing my values better. I'm clearer about my commitments. I'm on a better path towards the results that I prefer. That's what I mean by workability or a way that works for everyone. Uh, this comes on, sometimes works its way into everyday conversation when someone invites you to a particular event or asks you to create a particular document and you say, that's not gonna work for me. It, it doesn't have a lot of, of value and evaluation and opinion laden into it, it's just like, that's not consistent with what I'm committed to, with what other promises I've made where I'm trying to go. And if it doesn't work for you, well, maybe you can put some effort into making it work. That's the idea of this phrase, this coaching distinction that crept into even the title uh, of this. As I mentioned before, coaching uh, is sometimes referred to as a holographic technology because like a hologram, the whole hologram gives a very detailed, three-dimensional, almost living representation of the actual object, but any small portion of that hologram also will give you a view of the entire object. Now it won't be as detailed, it won't be as precise, but still you've got a clues to the whole. So that every time I bring up a coaching distinction, I'm reminded of that because in order to make that distinction useful for, for people, I often uh, find my way into other distinctions. So I've got to sort of put up artificial barriers to do something in 20 minutes or so that I could spend years and years on. So far, so good? Okay, I love the thumbs up. That helps a lot. All right, and uh, I'll put what, one more slide before I uh, lower that, and that is, ooh, come on, where did I go? There we are. 
Uh, I'll refer to a couple of things that we've discussed uh, on previous webinars that are also available on the web. Uh, the document 12 Steps for Difficult Conversations, that's something that could be useful in this situation, as well as my favorite, the conversation contract, how to set up the rules, the, the ground uh, rules and the, the agreed approach to any conversation, whether it's a, a painful one with uh, a significant other, whether it's an opportunity one with a coworker, whether it's a sales call with a stranger, the conversation contract can be a very useful tool and that's where you find it. Okay, now I'll emphasize uh, our faces instead of uh, the slides. Here's just a second, take a drink. The reason I chose this uh, topic is because I've noticed, and also there's a Stanford Business School survey of board of directors and CEOs that confirmed my anecdotal evidence that much of the frustration and ineffectiveness that business leaders feel is about the conversations they're not having. They're, they're concerned about confrontations, they're concerned about upsetting people, about not being prepared. There's lots of reasons not to have conversations that you know would either resolve an issue or move you closer to where you want to be. Now, I'm not saying these, these conversations aren't had at all, they're just not had in reality, out loud with the people involved. We all have lots of conversations in here. You know, while we're showering or driving, we think, well, I really should bring this up with him. And well, he'll say that, and then, well, I'll be ready with this. And then he'll respond this way and I'll be ready with that. And we all do that, right? And rehearsal has its place. But I've found that although I wish and sometimes expect that I can resolve these things inside my head, but I've learned that uh, it's really dark in there and there's not enough room to work. It's much more useful to get things out uh, with there's more space and to involve someone else. So that's the conversations we're talking about today. The ones that we often find our mind wandering to and having by ourselves, that'd be much more effective. At least we'll learn something uh, if we had them out loud with other people. And it's a common problem even with some of the most effective people that you can think of uh, this reluctance to go into the difficult or confrontational conversations. So uh, I'll give you one example of uh, the kinds of difficult conversations that come up repeatedly for, as an executive coach. And you can see how that might map into your own life. I was with a fairly new client. I was meeting with him for the second, maybe third time. I didn't know him very well. And it was what you might, if you're designing a set for a movie, choose as the office for a chief executive. Literally a wood paneled room, beautiful furniture. The client always dressed very well. It's one of the things everyone noticed about him right away is he had high quality clothes worn uh, expertly. Uh, so we were going over, as I do early in an engagement, learning the person's business and the key people in that business. As we were going down the list, he mentioned one person who ran a branch office who had not hit his numbers, his goals for several years. So naturally I asked, why is he still here? And he gave me a long, very detailed answer. He explained lots of things that I didn't know about their major supplier and requirements they had, about the history, uh, the personal life, the, the location, some of the hiring, some of the things he's tried. And after this long and detailed justification, you might recognize justify as something that's on the problem side of the earlier one. 
He said, so what do you think? And I said, I think that's a load of bullshit. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, yeah, you're right. It is all bullshit. None of those are good reasons for him still being here. And I think we're going to work well together because nobody else around here will tell me when I'm full of bullshit. <laughs> he was so enjoyed that, that that's how he introduced me to many people afterwards. Uh, as early on told me this. Early on, Tony Mayo told me this. Something else I found out over time is that I've never heard that particular client uh, use profanity in any way. So it was probably quite a shock for, for me to, him to hear that from me, but it was a shock that he needed. And then we started talking about setting up some very specific short-term goals and activities for this problem uh, branch manager to see if he could make it. And it turns out he didn't. It took a, few, took a while, but he, he was uh, made available to other opportunities uh, with a different company, which is something else I think helps people when they've got to let someone go. Uh, the first thing I encourage people to do is create a culture of accountability. Get clear agreement over what has to happen in an objective, measurable way. And when it doesn't happen, remind the person, this is the agreement. This is what's required. And generally, those people that sometimes their family members or long-term employees might be hard to just let go, they leave. Uh, people don't like to be in an environment where they're continually being reminded that they're not doing what they are being paid to do. So they, they go somewhere else. If you can just continually say, this is what we promise, this is what we've got, and how do you want to do it? There's no making wrong, there's no anger, there's no upset, it's just, this is what we promised, right? Yeah. This is what's happening, right? Now what are you going to do? And it's not what went wrong. Because what went wrong just puts us back in the problem. We're talking about the past again, where we have no power. Now I ask, what are you going to do next? And eventually they run out of plausible ideas. And what they're going to do next is try to find a better place to use what skills and energy they have. Okay, so uh, let's talk about these conversations. I'm going to give you four steps. We're getting engaged with these conversations. Before I do, I want to find out if there's any particular conversation uh, that you may be putting off, may be coming to mind, the one that maybe you had uh, driving to the office this morning. Anything in particular specific? All right. I've got an interesting view of someone's skylight, I suppose that is. <laughs> All right, Julie, I hope you can hear me better than I can see you. So the first step is something I learned years ago. I was, uh, had gotten an opportunity for a professional services firm to help them hire, train, and manage a sales team for the first time. Because up until then, this company had gotten all this new business through the connections and activities of their more senior professionals. And that's a pretty common thing in law firms and consulting firms. But they realized that was putting a limit on their growth because it reduced their delivery capability, time these senior people were putting into sales, but also the, sales, the professional people just were not expert at that. They had an area of expertise people hired them for, but sales wasn't one of them. But there's always a problem when you make that kind of transition because the consultants who were effective at sales were getting some nice benefits. It gave them power, sometimes it increased their bonus. So there's gonna be resistance. Well, my colleague, had a brilliant idea, which scared the crap out of me. He said, let's have an all hands meeting at the client. And we will 
present to them how we would go about setting up a sales team. And if we don't get unanimous support, we'll pull out of the uh, contract. I thought, oh, great. You know, in very short order, I can lose my biggest contract. Let's give that a shot. <laughs> uh, so we remember drive, distinctly driving to the, uh, the client site in uh, my, my colleague's big Lexus, which I'd never been in one before. Convened everyone, described very briefly what we were up to, as I just did to you. He said, now what I'd like to hear from you, what are all the concerns you have about bringing on a sales force? What are things that could go wrong? What are the problems? What are you worried about? I thought, oh, geez, really? He's going to start with the negatives? I keep this hurt so much. And as people spoke, he started writing things on the easel pad. Is this the problem? Are you sure this is as bad as it could get? We did this for what seemed like 12 hours. I think it was less than that. But it was painful for me as I, I was picturing my bank balance declining. And then a shocking thing happened. And it might not be surprising uh, to the, the three of you, but he said, are there any positives? Are there any possible upsides to having a sales force? And these same people started saying, well, we could get more interesting work. We'd have be able to hire people that are more highly qualified. And they went through the whole list of what happens when you get more sales. And he said, well, this was his big closing line. And I've since adopted as my favorite sales power move. He said, well, what do you think we should do? And after this silence, they said, well, I guess we should give it a try. Let's go forward. He says, anybody have an objection? He said, no, no, let's try it. So what happened in that difficult conversation? Well, one thing he did is the first uh, technique I want to mention to you and what uh, I've come to call it, I hope you don't mind a little bit of colorful language. And what I've come to call it is the mental enema. Gave people a chance to get all that uh, ideas <laughs> out of their heads, just to say it and to have someone hear it. That's why he wrote it down and double checked and make sure he, it was accurate. People want to be heard. It's one of the fund want to be heard. It's one of the fundamental human needs is to exist, to have someone else recognize that yes, you're real and you're different from me. You have your own ideas. So. Having that opportunity to say what's on your mind, to get your concerns out there, very powerful. And I recommend this, you might initiate this for yourself too. When you find you're procrastinating or not doing something thoroughly or just dreading the process, get hold of someone that you could trust who cares fundamentally about you more than any particular work outcome and just say all your concerns. That's important. They don't add anything to it. They don't agree with you and say, oh yeah, it could be worse. What about that? No, they just need to, as we say in the coaching business, get it. No, another human being can hear it say, yeah, that's reasonable for you to feel that way. It may not be right. It may not be true, but I get that a sensible person with your background and experience might have that concern. So that's the mental enema. First thing, let people talk. You'll notice that's what I did with that new client. I didn't just jump in and say, you got to get rid of this clown. Forget about it. No. I said, why is he still working here? Oh, what about this? What about that? Tell me more about this process. Tell me about the requirements of that supplier. So we got it all out of his head. And by the time I called bullshit, he could see it was. He was feeling it. He was the, his energy was dropping as he described these things. He just wasn't proud of this once he had it laid out in front of another adult. And he was ready to hear that's not good enough. 
let's try something different. So that mental enema is so important. And it's hard, particularly I think for a boss to do that because we, we still want to wrap things up, move on to the next thing. We're evaluating the people, we're ranking them, and they know it. So it's hard often for them to be frank. But if you have a few interactions where people can just vent, can just say, this is what I'm concerned about, and I'm not committed to being restricted by those concerns. I just want to lay it out and then we can move on. So allowing people to have that mental enema can be a very powerful. So far so good. Questions, concerns, looking for applications? <laughs> All right. So that was the one of four. The second one uh, is based on uh, an, an old saying, I'm sure you've heard many times, which is walk a mile in the person's moccasins. And the good thing about that is if you're having a disagreement, an upset, a concern with someone, and you walk a mile in their moccasins, well, soon you're a mile away and you have their shoes. So problem solved. It's a metaphor. <laughs> the idea is to try to look at it from their point of view. You're not saying they're right, that they have the only way of looking at it, that your way is defective. No, you just, how would it look to that person? This is really powerful with children. Children have so much less experience, less uh, facility with various toys and tools and methods that they see things very differently. And employees see things different from owners. Suppliers see things different from clients. So however they describe it, it's useful to get into their heads and see it from their point of view and acknowledge that, yes, I can see where you would come to those conclusions. Makes perfect sense. It gets to one of the key human relations uh, ideas or a stand or way of being, which is everybody is doing their best. And what they're doing makes sense to them. You're treating it like an error or laziness or stupid. Eh, people aren't going to like that. But if you can walk a mile in their moccasins, then you have a, a, a basis, some common ground where you can get some work done. All right. So the third one is, you know, how do you get to the topic? Sometimes that's the hardest part. Like we're we often have this fantasy, well, maybe it'll just come up uh, and it'll be natural conversation. Well, that'd be nice. Uh, but bringing up a difficult topic is, is a challenge. And this is something that comes up continually in marriages, uh, including my own. And you've got this kind of, there's this issue that you know the two of you conflict on. Will I wait until we're having a good time and relax? Well, no, I don't want to spoil that period or ring of the problem. Should I wait till we're angry and tired? Well, no, <laughs> that would probably make it worse. So you've eliminated all the possibilities. But I, I found uh, there one way to bring it up is to um, something I discovered with uh, a kind of coaching. Now, generally, I don't like to do remedial coaching. Uh, in the early days of coaching in the 80s and 90s, it seemed like all the executive coaches were dealing with people that had anger issues or used too much profanity or their uh, gender discrimination. They had all these bad behaviors, but they did something else that was very valuable. So people were trying to remediate them and coach them uh, into being acceptable, better performers with acceptable behaviors. The problem is I need a high level of trust with my clients. And if I walk in, judging them as having a problem as being wrong, I'm on the wrong side of that chart. And we're not gonna get very far. And yet, this is a real issue. 
Well, the first time this came up, it's a client I'd done a lot of work with. We've done offsites. I worked one-to-one with a number of executives. Their key person, vice president of operations, 1,400 people reported to this person. He had a problem with profanity. Everything to him was described like he was talking to a group of uh, longshoremen or sailors that had had a few drinks. And a lot of the employees were in their 20s, many were women, some English was not their first language. And this just sounded so threatening when he used the language he just thought was colorful. They said, see if you can fix this. I thought about it, I said, how am I gonna do this remedial thing? I don't really wanna confront the person, I don't wanna be a cop. I sat down with him and I said, I want you to understand the reason you're meeting with me is the company sees how valuable you are. And they're spending a considerable sum of money on me and providing your time because you're worth it. You're so important to the company. Great. And of course, nobody's perfect. If there was some area of your behavior, of your skills that you couldn't prove that would really help you achieve your goals at work, what is that area? What is the weakness? And if you're not sure what it is, what would your wife tell me it is? And that one always gets a laugh. And every time I've used that, including that first time, they brought up the topic I was hired to deal with. Now that's a big shift. Do you see it? It's not me coming in from the boss saying, this is what's wrong with you, let me fix it. It's the client saying, here's an area I wish I were more effective at. Here's something I'm willing to work on. Okay, that I can coach without being uh, stern and, and, and blameful. The one way to get on, on the topic is to say, yeah, I noticed this about the work. Have you noticed this? Or yes, I see that we haven't been uh, sort of joking when we run into each other at the coffee machine anymore. Is this something on your mind? And there are so many ways to let them bring it up. I notice that there's something a little bit off. You have an idea what it is. And often, so far, every time, it's the thing that I wanted to talk about anyway. And that third point of getting onto the topic by giving them an opening, giving them some freedom to bring it up themselves, gets into the fourth and final technique I want to give you today, which you may have heard of if you've ever done any kind of uh, family therapy or marriage counseling. And that is use I statements, statements that start with, I feel this, I noticed that, I'm concerned about this. See, and we probably could do a, a whole webinar on this, there's a difference between fact and opinion. I'll explain that in great detail in another webinar, but for now, I think we all recognize there are some things that are just true and we can all figure out whether they're true or not. And there are some things that are subjective. They're of an opinion based on our history, our values, the information we have available to us. So when we want to state a fact, we can state that fact and have a conversation about how the other person, what evidence they need to prove it. An opinion is different. The opinion is mine. It's a product of my view of the world. There's no arguing about it. There's no uh, discussing it. This is my opinion. The problem comes in is when we start stating opinions and processing them as though there are facts. For example, saying to someone, you are lazy and sloppy. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a statement of as though it were a fact 
and that there was some a golden standard of laziness that we could all go to and say, well, here's where you land and the laziness is over here. No, that's a, things like laziness, uh, being conscientious, those are subjective opinions. Everyone has different standards for what's lazy, for what's complete, what is conscientious. But if I, so if I say, yeah, sometimes I get the feeling that you're not getting this stuff done because you seem lazy or you just aren't a conscientious person. Now, I don't know that about you, but I want to tell you that I have that reaction. Now, maybe, I've, maybe you have some mannerism that reminds me of someone else uh, that was labeled lazy. So the thing is, when you do X, I notice that I feel Y. Not, you made me feel Y by doing X. You can't make me feel anything. I have all this uh, history and process uh, that uh, influence my emotions. So the key to the I statement isn't just the format. It's realizing that you are taking responsibility for your opinion. And part of that responsibility is a willingness to change that if the other person brings up a, a different idea, different values, different ways of looking at it, maybe some different facts. So that's the, the, the fourth case. So I've got four so far. One is that letting the person just say what is in their heads. Clear, make some space and it'll work. And I vividly describe that as a mental animal. Give them a chance to say that. Then uh, walk a mile in your moccasins. Actually try what it would be like to see the world the way they see it. You don't have to give up your position. Just try what is it like for a child looking up an adult in this situation? What is it like for an employee? who may have uh, lost jobs in the past, who may have just gotten a notice that their rent is going up and the boss wants to talk about how they're doing on their incentive plan. Things feel different things. Conclusions happen differently for different people. That's part of the joy of, uh, of dealing with humans instead of just with machines. We're all unique and they change moment to moment, day to day. So walk, walk a mile in their moccasins by listening to what's coming out during that mental enema. And the third one is just how do we get on the topic? Well, one way is to uh, give them some freedom to talk about what they're concerned about, what they may see as being in their way, what they think is uh, an aspect of their behavior or opinions that is between them and what they'd like to get. And then finally, you can make I statements. Just talk about the opinions you've developed, the emotions that you notice arise in yourself when certain things occur. Not like it's cause and effect, not like it's their fault, but Here's something I'm noticing. I'm not satisfied with that. You work with me to come up with a different uh, approach. Maybe you'll change the way I process your actions. Maybe you'll change your actions. Uh, either way is fine if it gets me to uh, a better subjective experience of our relationship and the results we're working on. So that's my uh, summary of how to say almost anything to almost anybody. I left myself uh, a little out there with the almost, but so far it's worked uh, with everyone. When I'm willing to step out of my own opinions, my own view of the world and explore a little bit to find out how it looks to someone else. What have they seen that has them behave differently than I do? That way we both get uh, better informed and a lot more uh, effective at working with each other. All right, so that's the set portion of uh, today's presentation. Uh, questions, ideas, requests, uh, observations. Best of all, is there a conversation you're about to have that you could, you'd like to commit to publicly right now?
anyone that you probably should have gotten around to talking to sooner. So this doesn't use up your mental real estate uh, while you're driving or relaxing. I'm doing pretty good with everything. I'm going through my mind thinking, no, not at this time, but I'll, but if something does come up, <laughs> I have the tools. <laughs> the tape is there and, and you know how to reach me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Julie, Jane, and Steve, thanks for being with me today. Uh, I'll get this these links in this uh, video out there soon. And uh, I hope to see you right here next mm -hmm. Tuesday. All right, bye. Thank you, Tony. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More coaching like this is available at TonyMayo.com. That URL is T-O-N-Y-M-A-Y-O.com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of executive coach Tony Mayo all rights reserved worldwide. <laughs>